0: I'm Abby Kinney, and you are listening to UpZoned. Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of UpZoned, a show where we take a big story each week that touches the Strong Towns conversation and we UpZone it. We talk about it in depth. I'm Abby Kinney, an urban planner in Kansas City, and today I am joined by my friend and regular co-host, Chuck Marone, founder of the Strong Towns organization. Hiya.
1: Heyya. We usually record these on Friday, but we're doing this one a little bit late today. And it just works out that uh, I can express my condolences to you for your football team <laughs> losing this past weekend. I did that before we were on air, but I think people should hear because, uh, yeah. you know, Minnesota and Kansas City are natural rivals in a lot of ways in in sports franchises. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been cheering vicariously. I texted you last night during the game when it was looking good for you and then I texted you when it wasn't looking good for you and then – I texted you my apologies right after you lost. So I, I, I live vicariously through you.
0: <laughs> it was a, it was kind of a tough game to watch because we were doing pretty well at the beginning. And I even at one point tweeted out the Cincinnati Butterfingers. Am I right? And now I'm kind of eating those words because things start <laughs> going really bad. So maybe yeah, it's my did. fault.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. my wife wanted to go um, snowshoeing yesterday. And the game was, you know, it looked, looked like it was out of reach. And I'm like, oh, I should go, you know, I should spend time with my wife. And then I'm like, ah, I got some stuff to do. I'm going to stay and watch the game. <laughs> <laughs> then she's like, how was the game? And I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't go because it was it was an exciting game for someone who didn't have a you know, aside, but
0: yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Some of these games are just incredibly stressful to watch and we kind of choked at the end there, but what are you well, going to do? I thought about
1: doing, I thought about doing an analysis too, like for a season to pick the winners based on like a strong towns analysis, um, <laughs> you know? So like what city do I like the best? What stadium do I like the best? That kind of thing. Like where is it located? How is it served? And, you know, in a lot of ways, Kansas City doesn't fare too well in that because your stadium is this big parking lot out in the middle of nowhere. And Cincinnati, I don't know about their football field. I've walked to their baseball field and it's delightful. It's very nice. I don't know about football, though, so I couldn't speak. I don't know for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be a really interesting analysis. Maybe next year uh, when you get closer to the Super Bowl, you can take like the four teams, that are in the running and do an analysis on them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, this year, if we were going to look at Los Angeles and Cincinnati, it's, you know, no offense to my friends in Los Angeles, but it's pretty hard to, Uh you know, it'd be pretty hard to be unfavored as much as Los Angeles would be in a matchup like this. But, you know, who knows? Brand new stadium. Very fancy.
0: Very fancy stadium. I watched a couple of quarters of the following game last night. By the way, I don't usually talk like this. Like, I don't really watch football unless we're winning. Yeah, so. me either. <laughs> I, like, sound like I, watch, I like, really know what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> I watch football two or three Sundays a year, and it happens to be, like, the championship games and the Super Bowl. So I am, I am the, like, Christian equivalent of the – you know, Christmas and Easter attendee. That's what I am with football now. I'm like, I will attend at the two big events and I'm pretty much checked out the rest of the game. That's
0: me a hundred percent. Except for, you know, games like last night, I get really invested emotionally in the game, but I don't fully understand all the technical rules. So I'm constantly turning to others. Why? Why did they say that? Why did they stop the clock? And so, you know, that's got to be really annoying.
1: (laughs) Well... You know, you like your city. That's cool.
0: Yeah, I like my city. Yeah, I like I like when we win. (laughs) So anyway, so the article that we are going to be covering today was published in The New York Times by Keith Schneider, and it is entitled After Urban Flight Corporate Campuses Add a Taste of the City. So the article talks about how large corporations who had previously fled city centers following World War II are now pivoting their real estate models towards building more compact mixed use centers rather than the typical single user suburban office park for their corporate campuses a professor of urban design at Harvard University is quoted describing this as the urbanization of the suburban experience and the article points out several examples like Capital One's 24-acre campus in Tysons, Virginia, Walmart's soon-to-be 350-acre headquarters in Bentonville, Arkansas. JP Morgan Chase's regional headquarters in Plano, Texas, and Microsoft's future 90 acre regional headquarters on the western edge of Atlanta. So many of these examples have some kind of public interfacing mixed-use residential component to it that, to me, is basically the merging of both the modern models for corporate campuses and retail mixed-use centers as a way of kind of dually anchoring the development project. So obviously, I think there's a lot to unpack about this new trend. I kind of have a small or strong really gut reaction about (laughs) this kind of approach approach, but I do want to be kind of balanced here. I guess we can just start out and I'll ask you point blank, Chuck. Do you see this approach as a net positive or is it a net negative in, in approaching development in the suburbs and even developing metropolitans?
1: Yeah, that's a, I hadn't really thought about that because to me, it is the development model that we have invested so much time and energy and resources in trying to reinvent itself to be relevant today, right? So I think the, you know, the net positive or net negative is really going to depend on how well that development model goes into the future. And, and let's be clear what that development model is. That development model is a world of large corporations kind of dominating every facet of life, each needing their own headquarters, their own uh, ecosystem of of places around it. It's kind of ironic that you would say, you know, we're going to have a big corporate campus with, uh, you know, the Starbucks and the Jimmy Johns and like invite all these other corporate entities in who themselves (laughs) will have their own corporate campus somewhere uh, with all those things. It's a very like sterile world uh, that they're imagining. And I, I just... I can see a world where that is the dominant business model for the next 100 years. I can also see a world where that dominant business model goes away. And I think, you know, if that dominant business model stays around and and remains, you know, the dominant force shaping the economic dynamics of of the world, this may turn out to just be one more pivot in a long series of pivots that we pour capital into. But if that development model is not you know, the end all be all, if it's not the thing that survives this transition period we're in, then I think these investments are going to look really dumb. I think they're going to look really bad and 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 not wear well, but, you know, they're, they're going to not wear well the way that a, a lot of corporate town investments have not worn well over the years when development models shift.
0: Yeah. The office typology is really kind of interesting to me because of how it's morphed in such a short amount of time. You know, you think of city centers having these like high rise buildings and skyscrapers that hosted large corporations in the past throughout the 20th century. And many of those buildings, at least in my city, but I'm sure other cities have been now converted into condo buildings because they're no longer desired to be somebody's corporate office building. Uh, so this article kind of talks about that post suburbanization shift towards having campuses after World War Two for offices. And now this model seems to actually it's somewhat of a crossover between where retail is going and where office is going and that they are taking those two Uh, those two development models and basically putting them together because retail has, of course, changed dramatically over the past hundred years. And we're starting to move away from this mall model or this kind of anchor retail tenant model where you would have one big, you know, a Macy's or JCPenney that anchors a larger development project and it's all retail and not a lot of other types of uses, so this is kind of taking that that shift towards mixed-use centers that have lots of different things happening in them, and then making the corporate office campus basically the model tenant rather than having like the Macy's or the JCPenney. So that's kind of interesting to me because it's you know reacting towards that experiential kind of development center that's kind of focused on placemaking in a sense and "Quote unquote walkable design, <laughs> at least internally." Um, so to me, that's kind of interesting.
1: Well, it, to me, it, it's like the the marketing brochure of this is really easy, right? The marketing brochure is we're trying to attract the best and brightest, so we're building like the living style of a Disneyland in a place. I got a tour of Google's headquarters in uh, New York City, Goog- the Google building, mm-hmm. and. You know, if you are a really, really smart Googler who's got a job there doing programming and high-end, this is an awesome place to work. I mean, they've got uh, restaurants with free food. They've got great places to meet. They've got uh, all the amenities you would want, climbing walls, you know, gyms, like everything. Uh, And you go there and you, you know, you work really hard. These people are really smart. They work really hard. So the, the marketing brochure of this is like very clear, right? It's very easy to see. Like we're... We're the big company trying to attract the top people. And so just like, a, uh, you know, we were talking football earlier, when, when a, a football team or a baseball team or a basketball team is trying to attract a new star player, they'll show them all the amenities, you know, here's your sauna room and here's your workout room and here's the, you know, the facilities we've got. And that's part of the, the package, right? I don't really know what's driving that marketing brochure. Um, If it's more like corporations trying to convince themselves that this is a good thing, if it's more like the finance saying, this is what we'll finance now today, because we haven't figured out what else to finance. But it doesn't seem to me like it's responding to the workers, a predominant amount, a, a number of them, which are saying, we're not coming back to the office. Like, we don't want to come back to the office. We want a job that gives us way more flexibility I also think in terms of like the companies that are attracting to this, I mean, JP Morgan is mentioned in there. Capital One is mentioned in the article. You know, we brought up Google here now. Apple was mentioned in the article. Uh, These are companies that don't have the 1950s vertical management structure. You know, they don't have these silos and hierarchies where you've got a manager, middle manager, you've got, you know, all these people reporting to other people. They're really flat, team-structured systems. And so they need places for teams to like meet and chat and work together. But a lot of that doesn't require physical space. It doesn't require the type of structure and, and, and building, really, that uh, we're used to in, in corporate America. And so this feels a lot more like, to me, someone is starting with a building, abstractly suggesting what their workforce should be like, and then designing something to try to fit that abstraction, as opposed to starting with the workforce, who are telling them things like, we want this lifestyle, we want, you know, to amenities, we want to live in a nice place, and saying, okay, well, well, maybe we should just have remote work be a thing and, and allow people to have their lifestyle. And let's put our money and investment into trying to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's becoming really clear to me is that, and just by, not just from this, but by watching the real estate market in general, is that there is this growing pressure on suburbs to build places that are more quote unquote urban. Um, And I think that's what these corporations are kind of responding to, that, that, that the trend has kind of geared more towards walkable places, places that, you know, have more amenities that are designed in a way that is, you know, where people enjoy spending time. And so the offices, or these at least large corporate office developers are responding to that by essentially finding their site for their corporate campus and then building a kind of city around it. um, Instead of building their corporate campus in an existing place like that, which I think is kind of interesting. And what I think concerns me about that is that this may be, and it probably is because of financial, <laughs> financial uh, models that favor just kind of doing a large scale greenfield development project on the side of the highway. Um, it's just less complicated than doing urban redevelopment in a physical sense you know, urban sites have a lot of complications tied to them. There's often a lot of stuff in the ground that, you know, from whatever was there before, and lots of major expenses tied to infrastructure replacement, facilities, you know, bureaucratic processes potentially that can really slow down a process or make things very political. So it does kind of worry me that this is kind of one of those responses where, you know, it's still the path of least resistance to just build things out on the edge but rather than building the corporate campus model they're responding to the market shifting towards building places that are emphasizing placemaking more so and i think that's similar to kind of the new town neighborhood development projects and and things that are responding to what i guess young people and you know as far as design goes what people are kind of wanting
1: yeah I've I've got a really good friend who's writing a book right now on the city of Hibbing and the history of Hibbing, Hibbing, Minnesota, uh, which is a small town on the Iron Range in northeast Minnesota, but it was a mining town. And it was a corporate town, and it was built by the corporation that was doing the mining. And everything from the houses to the school to the you know, the the pool and the, all all the amenities that went into making this place in the same kind of vein. And they would advertise to Finnish immigrants, and they would advertise to Swedish immigrants, and they were trying to get people to move there and, and be part of their you know corporate town with all the amenities, and then go mine and have a good life. And you said something about the idea that these suburban places trying to become more urban. And that was the thrust of this article too. Like, look how cute these places are that are suburban that are now trying to urbanize. And it struck me that there's a, couple, there's a couple insights into that. The first is that I think a lot of cities that are suburban would like to urbanize, like the governments would like to urbanize and the planners there and the people there. But they don't have the capital to do it, first of all. And second of all, they don't have the backing of people to do it. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of people who are like, "I, yeah, that's a great, that's a cute amenity, but the people who have moved to these places are in a structure that itself inherently resists change. They themselves resist change. And the idea that they're going to take the the money that they have and instead of fixing their own cul-de-sac, which they're going broke doing already, invest in a new, you know walkable, bikeable, mixed use, vibrant down, you know, however you want to market it. I see that happening in some places, but I don't see it happening with the the gusto that would need to, to take place. So you turn to the corporations, which can do it because corporations can get the capital and they can uh, in a sense you know, force things to happen because they don't have to go to a bunch of NIMBYs and ask permission within their own land, which in their own campus, they don't have to, you know, put it up to an association vote or what have you. But I think you run the risk then of building places that are, in a sense, single use, sterile environments that don't adapt and change over time, that you know, I've talked a lot about Walt Disney, the, the Disney Corporation was originally going to build Epcot Center, the experimental prototype city of tomorrow in, in this way. And they wound up walking away from it for a number of reasons. But one of them was that it, it's just a really bad idea to build a place like this that is very difficult to adapt, very difficult to change, very difficult to evolve over time. And as a sense, like a big pass fail experiment in human living, These places tend to not age well. So I can see corporate America like getting the money to do this and want to do it. It just seems really silly when you could drop your, you know, maybe your scaled down office space into an existing urban area, have all the urban amenities, and then be, you know, a contributor to that urban environment. Instead, you're trying to take an investment, a bad investment you made uh retrofit it to be a less bad investment in the hopes that you can create you know a facsimile of an urban environment out in suburbia somewhere and that i don't know that just seems like a really bad set of business decisions to me
0: yeah that was one of the things i was thinking about is 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 this basically a, a ton of office spaces surrounded by you know quote unquote city amenities or is it Mostly city amenities that are public interfacing as some kind of suburban town center kind of format. And the corporate campus portion of that is kind of, you know, auxiliary or integrated within that and can be adapted, you know, over time if they need to add office space or contract office space or change the format of the space that they're using as a corporation. That is not clear to me from this article. And I think that that is an important piece of whether or not these things would be adaptable. I did want to kind of talk about like the silver lining a little bit because my gut reaction was super biased. They should just build in the downtown core areas. What are they doing? This is stupid. But um, I did want to kind of be optimistic in this perspective because something that we do advocate is for suburb or basically to have a city of villages right for cities um suburban or urban to have neighborhood centers and some kind of you know anchor that isn't just you know the big box grocery store centers so i think that you know this model in a sense kind of undermines that That commuting model, that model where suburbs are simply bettering communities that residents live in and then drive 45 minutes to an hour to to where they're working. And so I think that is one of the things that is a plus here, having more employment options and places that are localized um, where people live probably can be a good argument that we don't need to build any more highway lanes to accommodate traffic uh, to and from city cores. And in fact, if we hadn't subsidized the commuter model via highway expansion in the first place, maybe suburbs would have had some incentive to actually create their own local job centers a long time ago. So, you know, this kind of starts to get us to a metropolitan area of villages or, you know, a polycentric kind of model, which I think is... Is probably good. I think there's a lot of nuance about how it's done to kind of determine whether it's um, sustainable or it works. You know, when the primary structure of your community has been an arterial grid with subdivisions and big box centers, it's kind of hard to retrofit that to avoid this kind of drive to urbanism that a lot of these town centers tend to have. But it doesn't mean that it's completely helpless, perhaps. I think a counterpoint to that, though, is that on a metropolitan scale, you need population to sustain all these different little villages if you're going to have them. So if suburbs start to kind of semi-urbanize and have centers, and that's at the expense of the center city core, that's also not very healthy from a regional perspective. So you would need to grow as a region and not spread out anymore in order to make that work. And I guess another counterpoint to that, and I guess I'm just arguing with myself at this point, so bear with me. Um, <laughs> it's
1: but the best it, kind of argument, yeah,
0: exactly. But basically, that you know, highway building. <laughs> has, you know, encouraged suburban sprawl from city centers. So are building these little villages and job centers throughout a metro actually going to further accentuate suburban sprawl? Because then you can, that kind of opens up more development out on the edge if somebody was going to the city 45 minutes away, and their corporate campus is now out in the suburbs where they live, they could move 45 minutes away from that because they have kind of the expectations and the tolerance for that. Um, So I guess there's there's a lot that goes into this depending on what scale you're looking at, whether it's from kind of the metropolitan regional scale all the way down to the site and how it's actually designed that is going to impact whether or not this is a This is going to be sustainable and actually going to create places that that work over time. And I don't know that corporations are going to be thinking about it that way necessarily. They're they're probably just worried about getting a project done.
1: Well, let me let me put a button on this because I um, there's a quote in here that just struck me as I was going through the article. And you know it it starts with uh, a Microsoft vice president talking about wanting to take pride in the spaces that they are and connect with their neighbors and da 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 Then it quoted Ellen Dunham Jones, who's a she's an urban design professor at Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta. She has a friend of mine. She is really, really smart. she's really dynamic. she's a great professor. Uh, but she says something here that I you know I, who knows what she said, the full quote, but I, this quote to me is, if it's true, it's partially true. <laughs> she says, Microsoft is asking, what can we do for equity and to mitigate gentrification that is the most progressive thing that no one else is doing? And I, I, I'm going to say, like, to the extent that that's true, it is maybe true in terms of the minimum that needs to be done to justify the marketing brochure, Right. But Microsoft is not waking up in the morning, going, "What can we do to for gentrification? What can we do to be a good neighbor?" They're doing what all corporations are doing right now, which is saying, "Okay, how do we not wind up like Spotify right now and having <laughs> you know half our people rebel?" And you know, how do we walk this path where we are doing some things that and we're saying the right language to be you know acceptable to the, the people who are going to attack us? And how do we, you know, uh, do enough to where we can focus on our mission, which is making billions of dollars? And I don't necessarily, you know, yeah. uh, fault them for that, but I think we're naive if we think that somehow Microsoft or Apple or Capital One or JP Morgan or whoever has some altruistic motive of wanting to be involved in the community, involved in the neighborhood,
0: <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for the corporations to come save us and uh, <laughs> solve gentrification
1: yeah. for us. Well, I think that people want their businesses to care about the neighborhood. I think people want the the restaurant owner and the retailer and the uh, you know the service place to care about the people around them. You can't legislate caring. Through corporate fiat. You, you you can make your employees feel good about themselves. You can have a marketing brochure that like tells people you care. You can even donate money to charities and certain stuff, you know, like that that will make it look good. But but really caring, and and let's just replace the word loving with, you know, caring with loving, actually loving a place takes. Inhabiting it and being there and knowing it and getting to know the people and actually being willing to shut your shop a little bit early to help someone or be able to, you know, see someone who's struggling and and create some nuance for them. It really is a fine-grained neighborhood level thing. And we, we all know these places, right? Like we all interact with these places. We all love these places. Uh, the Starbucks in the corporate campus may let you order on your phone, and that may be really convenient they're not going to love your place. They're not going to create a place that's lovable. And you know, to the extent that resiliency and the capacity of a place to endure over time is related to how much people actually love it, I think we're going to find these corporate campus things to be a, a failed experiment
0: yeah that's very well said and very cynical, but I think you're right. <laughs> unfortunately,
1: right. Like if Wall Street's going to allocate you know a hundred billion dollars in capital, I would rather see them allocate you know the the vast majority of that capital to bottom up small business entrepreneurs who actually would. Love their place love and create the, place. the kind of things that that people are saying they want to live around, right? As yeah. opposed to invest that hundred billion dollars in the corporate campus structure that's going to create this, you know, marketing brochure, this facade of of doing that. I, I'm right. cynical on that aspect of it.
0: I'm very cynical on that aspect, and frankly, you know, I I guess when when companies have to like make a PR statement out of like. <laughs> you know, doing something good. I, I'm very cynical personally about that because I feel like the best things are the things that people don't have to like announce (laughs) when people are doing things that are good. It's like, you don't necessarily have to like make a, make it like an ego thing or like make a, make a statement about every little thing. And unfortunately, building places that are lovable is not, uh, the most marketable process and doesn't really fit into a good PR approach. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit cynical about that. But at the same time, you know, w- we've kind of shifted into this, into this era of, I guess, like expecting corporations to be like moral arbiters and to be like the people who like our guess, are going to solve these big problems for us it's it's a new level of expectation that i just think is kind of interesting
1: well we want to believe we want to believe that corporations are are you know good and looking out for us because we like the products they provide we want to believe that you know the government is good and and doing the right thing because we uh we want you know we we want certain things from them we we have a lot of things that we want to believe and i don't know you know i I get that. Like I get that feeling. It makes me feel better about certain products that I that I like if I believe that the company is a is a good company doing good work. I, I feel like that's very human, right? Like I'm not even saying that we're wrong in that. I just think that we're, and I'm including myself in this, we are we intentionally become naive when we think that like that's the, you know, the it goes back to Adam Smith and the theory of moral sentiments. You know, it, it's we're all capable of good. We're all capable of of evil. Uh, I think it's that community connection, that actual like human uh, connection between two people. And if we want to think of it as a shop owner and the uh, you know the patron, it's it's the the more that is a human connection and not you know just a transaction, uh, the more humanity creeps into it. Corporations can create the facade of that, but it's really hard for them to scale the uh, the actual carrying of that.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see how it works out. Um, before we finish today, it is time for The Down Zone, which is the part of the show we can share anything that we've been up to these days, anything we've been reading, watching, listening to. Uh, so we can start with you, Chuck. What have you been up to?
1: <laughs> I started this Uh, adorable book. It's called The Neighborhood Project, uh, Using Evolution to Improve My City One Block at a Time. It's by a a guy named David Sloan Wilson. Someone told me about it at at the end of last year. I've downloaded it on my Kindle. I've been reading it a little bit every night. And uh, I'm finding it just... I said it's a cute little book. It's not cute in the sense that it's cutesy. It's so homey and adorable. And I just... I love the core message of it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm going to have uh, the guy on to chat about it if he's willing on the podcast because it's a deeply insightful book. But it's not insightful in a way that is pretentious or like non-accessible. It is insightful in a way that again uh, is like deeply human, and I I'm loving it so far.
0: That's awesome. <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I I feel like I need to. I have a book lineup and I need to get that started this year. I feel like I took January off, um, and mostly <laughs> because Ozark uh, on Netflix. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> was released. Um, I don't even know what season it is. Season four, three. I think it's five. four.
1: I got <laughs> I got halfway through one and I quit because it just wasn't me. Really? But I know people who love it. Yeah, yeah. No, I know people who just think it's the greatest. I, uh, I don't I love know. I never it. could get into it.
0: I love it. I'm I, I watched whatever the most recent season was and it was really good. I I can't get over that it just makes Missouri look so depressing. Um I guess it can be. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> I guess it can parts, be, but guess, there's never yeah. sun
0: in this show. So I'm like, man. Here. We need to get rid of the clouds sometimes. But uh, Well
1: the Ozarks are gorgeous too. I mean, it, it's one of those things where like when I started watching this, I'm like, Well, this doesn't this doesn't align with what I think of the Ozarks for the, you know, multiple times I've been there. But
0: Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know the the Ozarks actually is you know, it's a really pretty area. So they make it look kind of uh, dreadful and and dark and kind of backcountry, which I guess some of it is.
1: I was going to ask you, and this crossed my mind this weekend, uh, if you had ever watched Sherlock, because I was on your case like a year ago oh, about no. watching Sherlock, and <laughs> I don't think you haven't, have you?
0: No, I failed. I actually added it to my, you know, whatever it is, my Netflix bookmarks when you yeah. when you add it, and um, I haven't started it. Maybe that's what I need okay. to do. Not that I need to be watching any more television.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think you need to watch Sherlock. You know? Okay. OK, I, I, I what did I watch you? I mean, you were the one who got on me about Breaking Bad and I did I did that. That was great. Yeah, um,
0: that's worth your so, time and effort.
1: Yeah, I yeah. think uh, Sherlock is the one is the one you need to watch. That's that's probably my favorite all time show. So, yeah, you like OK,
0: I, I will make a mental note and I will do that. I will start watching it.
1: (laughs) Okay. All Uh, right.
0: I'm going to let you go. Thanks again, Chuck. And keep doing what you can to build a strong town. Thanks all.
1: Take care, everybody.